Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and discipline. You noticed how many uh, words there are in English nowadays which end uh, with the root uh, derived from Greek, phobia. The word means fear. For instance, well, you'll know this, claustrophobia, what's that? Fear of small spaces, that's right, yeah. Or, on the other hand, agoraphobia. Ah. And then there's arachnophobia. Fear of spiders, there you go. Yes, because I, I, I haven't got any fear of spiders, but I quite like the little beasts. I win such brownie points from the regulatory authorities in my household. <laughs> Xenophobia. Fear of foreigners. Particularly Albanians. Or unusually... Metaphysiophobia. Fear of change. Ah. Therefore, Baptists, yes. Well, Methodists, how many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? Change? Anyway. Um, and then there's Hippopotamo monstrosa equipidaliophobia. Ah. Fear of long words. Now, most of these are neologisms, aren't they? Um, quite, that's new words. Um, but but uh, the really offending neologio, neologiophobics among you, I would like to propose another. Nanophobia. This is fear of ants. Not ants, ants. Now, I am very nanophobic as I was reminded recently when visiting my Aunt Kay in Limavadi. 93, five foot nothing, yet before her I cower. Like I did when I was 13, as Bertie Worcester cowered before his Aunt Dahlia like a wet sock. <laughs> what are you doing? Call the fear of microphobia. Fear of microphobia, yeah, well done. Do all these, these phobia words mean perhaps we are becoming more fearful? Maybe. Perhaps, if that's so, it's a bad thing? Because surely uh, fear is a bad thing. Well, my nanophobia only troubles my life when I visit my wife, my wife, well, my aunt. But um, if you're claustrophobic, and that means you have difficulty getting into a car or a lift, that really affects your life, doesn't it? And xenophobia is no laughing matter, really, is it? And for those of us who believe that God speaks in Scripture, many words there can be read as saying that those who follow Jesus should have no fear. The command, do not be afraid, fear not, 
is heard again and again in both Testaments. Apparently, it is the most frequent command in the whole of Scripture. Do not be afraid. Love, it might seem, is the great enemy of fear. And indeed, you'll recall the words from 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. This is a word which says that since those who are in Christ need not fear the wrath of God, given that Christ has saved them from sin and in, in Him is no condemnation for them, they need only love God and not, we might think, fear Him. Are we not to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? Deuteronomy 6.4 Yet it's striking that just two verses before that great word which Jesus calls the great commandment, in Deuteronomy 6.2, Moses urges the people to obey God's rules so that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your children and grandchildren, by keeping all his statutes and commandments all the days of your life. And as we heard in our reading from Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, or a slight variant elsewhere in the same book, of wisdom. And indeed, throughout the book, this particular sort of fear, the fear of the Lord, gets a very good press. It's linked with um, long life, being praised, uprightness, confidence, contentment, humility, and blessedness. Fear of the Lord, then. For the Grecians among you, kuriophobia seems a good thing. We should be afraid of God. Very afraid. How come this particular phobia is okay? For has not putting the fear of God into people been the way that bad people under the cloak of religion controlled others for their own wicked ends down through the ages? Has not threatening people with the wrath of God from the pulpit done great harm? making Christianity unattractive and indeed increasingly in our own times, frankly, ridiculous. Well, um, some, some ways around this have been found, but let's 
let's, before we return to that question, ask again, why is it then that fearing the Lord is seen as such a good thing in these biblical passages we've been looking at? And including, of course, the one from Luke's Gospel, where one of the criminals suffering with Jesus rebukes his fellow by saying that in cursing Jesus, he shows he does not fear God. Now, one of the the ways around all this is by saying, well, actually, let's translate things a bit more easily. Let's, Let's change the word fear for awe, or reverence even. Now, there's something in this. Although, um, actually, there are other words in the original languages that fit the meaning or better than the one used throughout Scripture, translated fear. Yes, if if God is, is who the Bible says he is, he is the maker of the heavens and earth, and then truly awesome, awe-inspiring. You know, one of the songs we often uh, sing in church, uh, perhaps you sing it here sometimes, I, I don't know, do you? It's a Hillsong anthem. Do you know God of creation? God of creation, there at the beginning of time. Do you know that one? Oh, you should. It's really good. Really good. Yeah, yeah. Look it up on YouTube when all the wonderful lights and the beautiful people singing together in Australia. It's very good. Very good. I mean, it's, it's a bit dodgy because it uses the word evolve at one point, but it, 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 it does seem to be situated, this song, in the universe we actually know we live in now because of science, yeah? You know, the sort of thing that you, 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 you get if you watch B- Professor Brian Cox on the TV. And there's one line in it, uh, what does it say? And as you speak... A hundred billion galaxies are born. Good, isn't it? Yeah. In the vapor of your breath, the planets form. I better stop. A hundred billion galaxies. The average galaxy contains 400 billion stars. Actually, the only problem with the song is it's it's got the numbers a little low. <laughs> there, are, there aren't a hundred billion galaxies. There are 10,000 billion galaxies. One estimate says that if every star in the universe was a P and they were all heaped up on Great Britain, they would cover Great Britain to the depths of two-thirds of a mile. But they're not peas, are they? They are huge, astonishing balls of gas, so large that at their centre of of many of them is a great controlled nuclear explosion. When I consider the heavens, 
the work of your hands. What is man that you should have regard to him or the son of Adam that you should remember him? Yeah, but forget that sort of scale. I mean, it is truly, I mean, if this is, this is the universe that the Lord God who made heavens and earth has made, he is truly awesome. And if you don't fear him a little, you just haven't got it, have you? But, I mean, I, you know, but what about the smaller stuff? I mean, I, I was swimming off um, Ireland, snorkeling, uh, this August, and my friends and I were joined by two bottle-nosed dolphins who buzzed us. <sighs> it's an astonishing experience, or inspiring. They're so big, you know. And they glow. I mean, it's astonishing. Maybe they've just been eating too much radioactive plastic. I don't know, but... but uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get that all, but the trouble is here, friends. If you're Richard Dawkins, an atheist, you get the same feeling of awe, but you just have awe for the creation not the creator. And indeed, it, it's so easy actually to slip into adoring the creation and not the creator. And so actually the fear of the Lord of which the scripture speaks is only actually a little part of that is what we should feel when we contemplate the creation the fear of the Lord which, of which Scripture speaks is mainly not about God's power, but His holiness. And His astonishing compassion. I get a clue as to what this fear is when I um, think of an episode in uh, the life of Dr. Johnson, <laughs> great 18th century uh, man of letters. At that time, I mean, this is only, what, 250 years ago, and yet in every English city, quite regularly, people were executed publicly. In London, where Johnson lived, every month a grisly procession would be led to Tyburn, where perhaps two dozen people would be hanged slowly. And what was astonishing, what astonished many people uh, was how well those executed in this horrible way met their death. How very few of them did what I would do, which was cry, plead for mercy. They often uh, made a jest of it, dressed up as a, a, a groom to embrace bride, a bride of death. If they'd been nobbled by the Methodists, they proclaimed their repentance and invited others to repent. They met their deaths well. And Boswell, Johnson's great friend, turns to him and says, 
why? Why do they die so bravely, these criminals? And Johnson says, sir, they are supported by their fear. That fear of losing the good regard of others, which never leaves us. That's a really interesting thing, isn't it? That one of our strongest emotions is that we do not lose the respect, the good regard of others. That we're really frightened of being thought badly of others. Yeah? Think about your own behavior. Isn't that often true? It's certainly true of mine. So often, I, I, one thing I don't want to do, you know, I come to Cairns Road, the last thing I want to do is get things wrong, you know? So kneel down, for instance, because this is the sort of church where you don't kneel to pray, you know? Or it's great in Germany, because in Germany, it's, um, you go to a Catholic church in Germany, they do what we do, they stand up to sing, and they kneel to pray, or sit to pray. Whereas in the Protestant churches, they, just to catch the Catholics out, they do it the other way around, they sit to sing and stand to pray, so you can identify them, yeah? We really like not to be thought of as different or other, to lose the good regard of others. That's a big fear. It's not always a good thing. It, it, it can make a, stri- a child strive to do well at school, lest they let their parents down. It in, might even get the footballer to agree to take the penalty, even when they know they'll miss. Given this Sunday, I, I remember listening to men, older men, my father and his generation, talking about their experiences in the war and asking my father afterwards, why? Why didn't you run? And being told, I was frightened of letting my mates down. But it can also make a gang member agree to commit barbaric crimes so his mates will think well of them. But it is part of being human, surely, to have people in our lives whose good opinion we fear to lose. What these biblical texts urge us to do is fear above all losing the good opinion of one being, one person, a holy, compassionate God. To fear God is to be among those whose deepest wish in life is to live it in such a way that God delights in their lives, has a good opinion of them. So actually, if there's a conflict between pleasing God and keeping the good opinion of others, 
You fear God so much that you do what he wants, not what they want. Fear him, you saints. You will then have nothing else to fear. John Wimber, I perform for an audience of one. There's only one person that I'm looking to in my life to fear. Only one person whose good opinion I really want to keep. How? How? How do you please God? Well, Scripture, of course, offers many descriptions of how we can please God. And um, they don't contradict each other. There is the commandment in Deuteronomy, which we've already heard, to love Him with all our heart and soul and strength. And another, which, as I said, does not contradict, but adds to that, is found in the book of Proverbs book whose message, and I'm going to be talking about that, its message is a bit more length in the next couple of sermons, but you can sum up its message as this. Don't be dumb. <laughs> Act wisely. <laughs> and this is a wisdom, if I might just say a little bit more about that, which must not be confused with mere academic cleverness. You can have a string of letters after your name and be dumb. And you can have no and be very wise. I mean, I think of a young man, um, let's call him Ted, it's not his real name, a man with autism and some quite profound learning difficulties who comes to stay with us and give his parents a, a bit of a respite on occasional weekends although no one else in his family is a follower of Jesus, Ted is. And his faith and wisdom often surprise us. As, for instance, um, he asked us at breakfast one morning, um, Peter and Sue, you you always say grace um, for lunch and supper, don't you? And we said, yes, yes we do, Tom. We're very pious. Hmm. Why don't you say grace at breakfast then? Ah. (laughs) We do now. That's the sort of wisdom I'm talking about. A wisdom, because actually, as far as Ted is concerned, the one person he wants to please in his life Is God. Astonishing. If these things are so, then another fear may arise in our hearts. Indeed, should arise in our hearts. Namely, that we have not lived wisely or, for that matter, lovingly. 
that we may very well have lost God's opinion by things we say and do and think every day. But it seems it is not so easy to lose God's opinion of us if we know Jesus Christ. For in Him, because of the way He lived and spoke and thought, God's good opinion always rests on Him. For proof of this, we need look no further than did the dying thief in our reading. Father, forgive them, says Jesus, crucified. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It seems that by the mercy of Jesus Christ, our willful ignorance, for we did sort of know, didn't we? Our ignorance is the ground not for our losing God's favour, but for our being reinstated in it. To look at Jesus Christ and him crucified, to look at the one whose obedience in life and death pleases and delights God, is to look at the one who cannot lose God's opinion, his good opinion. The one whose kingdom is surely coming, the kingdom of peace and joy and love and justice, which will triumph over the violence and injustice of this world, is surely coming. And if only we ask him, Jesus Christ will remember us for good. We just need to ask him to get his good opinion. Who do we live our lives for? Who truly do we fear? Does peer pressure, the atmosphere at the office, in our home or family, count for more than the good opinion of Jesus Christ? Well, I guess to our shame, of course, that so often I and you have let our desire for the good opinion of others triumph over what we knew God wanted and would delight him. 
there's any ministry that we need for that sort of thing, I'm sure it can be offered to us this morning. If you want God's opinion in your life, perhaps you you don't understand how how much he yearns to speak over you, words of blessing, to tell you that he loves you, that he will send his spirit upon your life so you may truly live it in a way that delights him. You don't know these things this morning, but yearn perhaps to know them. Then for the love of God, do not leave this building until you have secured his good opinion and begun to fear him truly. Should we fear him? Yeah, of course. Truly, he is awesome. But such fear is the one which drives out all other fears. For if we have God's good opinion, we need not fear losing the good opinion of mere humans. Indeed, when we are so afraid, so afraid, even when we walk in the valley of the shadow of death, we need fear no evil. Such fear. It's not a hair's breadth from love 